Welcome to this Sunday's message from the King's Church Mid-Sussex. As you well know, we've been looking at the series of Nehemiah. So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd like you to turn to Nehemiah chapter 12. I'm so grateful that I'm not preaching on chapters 10, 11, and the first part of chapter 12, for they are a list of names. It's interesting, isn't it? In the Bible, so often you have whole chapters, just name after name after name, most of which most of us can't pronounce. If I had a go at pronouncing them, you'd never know whether I was pronouncing them right or wrong anyway. So it's not insignificant, though, is it? You know, the book of Romans finishes chapter 16 with a whole chapter given over to names. Names, names, names. I think the significance of this is God knows your name. You're an individual. You're never lost in the crowd. Everybody is important in the purposes of God. Isn't that a wonderful... Maybe I should have preached on the names. Maybe that's a wonderful thought to know that however big the crowd, you've got a name and God knows you and God knows every detail of your life. Then we get to chapter 12, which means that we're coming to the end of this series on Nehemiah. I think there's one more to go. But uh, we're here in chapter 12, and we're going to be reading from verse 27. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with thanks, with gladness, with thanksgiving, with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres, the way that they wanted to bring this pinnacle of dedication was to worship, to give thanks, to praise God together. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netophathites, I think I got that right, also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Azmaveth. For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites purified themselves and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. You will know through week after week of knowing this story that we've been building up to something. And you might think that the building up is the completion of the building. That would make sense. But actually there's another step which is going to be very significant for us this morning. It doesn't end with a celebration about the building. It ends with something more than that, which is giving thanks to God, worshipping God. The pinnacle is to centre in upon God himself. Verse 31, Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs and gave thanks. Imagine these massive choirs on the top of the wall, all singing in unison together. And one went down to the, went to the south on the wall to the dung gate. Verse 38, the other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them with half of the people. One can only imagine these two choirs must have had some kind of sing-off, and the one that lost obviously was the one that went down to the dung gate. The other one goes up north onto the tower that is there, high above everything else. 
verse 43, and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. And the women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Verse 46, for long ago in the days of David and Asaph, there were directors of the singers and there were songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and, all, and in the days of Nehemiah gave the daily portions for the singers and the gatekeepers. And they set apart that which was for the Levites and the Levites set apart that which was for the sons of Aaron. I'm sure as you've gone through this series together, you have understood that in the old covenant, the temple, the city, the walls represented the possibility of the glory of God. That's why this story doesn't finish with a celebration about buildings, but the potential of celebrating the presence of God. And in Old Testament, Old Covenant times, the understanding would have been this, that pull down the city, pull down the temples, destroy the walls, represented that the glory of God was no longer there, that the presence of God has departed. Rebuild those walls, rebuild those cities and temples, and it speaks of God's presence coming with power. And this is right, right from the beginning of the book of Nehemiah, right up till now. The people, Nehemiah particularly, were so distraught. They were, they, were, they, were, they were so, so moved. It wasn't just about a building. It's about what that building represented. For them, it was like the presence of God makes the difference. The glory of God is what we need to see filling the temple. And of course, then rebuilding those wards, rebuilding everything, has the possibility of God coming and worship becomes the very heart of it all. The ultimate goal of rebuilding the wall is worship. A rebuilt city without a worshipping community at the heart totally misses the whole point of the story. <clears throat> you know, Solomon had this amazing temple. It was destroyed. These people were trying to build something that looked like that. If you read the book of Haggai and other restoration chapters you'll see people that remembered Solomon's temple were actually not very impressed with what they were building they said but we remember Solomon's temple is far more glorious than this they were missing the point it wasn't the size of the thing or the glory of the physical it was what was going to happen as a result of that today so today I've got the wonderful privilege of speaking on the centrality of worship so what does this all mean for us here, Burgess Hill, in July 2023? What relevance does this have? Well, today we understand that it's not about physical walls. It's about a people. The same principle is when the walls were built, the glory and the presence of God would come. Now God has a people, and when that people gather there is the opportunity for the glory of God to be displayed, for the presence of God to be known and to be encountered. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 says this, As you come to him, Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, 
chosen and precious. You yourself, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The picture is a gathered community, living stones joined together to the one who is the living stone, and something begins to happen when we begin to worship, when we begin to gather as the people of God. These are descriptions of local churches like kings. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body. Now look at this description of the church. The fullness of him who fills all in all. I want you to get hold of this morning this sense of when God's people gather, God can come and flood us with the fullness of him who fills all in all. I know these are very familiar words to many of us, but we need to keep hearing them. Again, Ephesians 2 verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by his spirit. You know, whenever we gather now as the people of God, whatever setting it might be, and we come to worship the presence of God, is what we're really wanting to know and experience. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst. So when two or three, you just get friends together and you begin to worship God, the presence of God comes. These are the promises of God. This is what happens when God's people, the living temple, comes together. When you are with your family and you as a family just decide, we're going to... You say, well, that's not kind of church. Well, it is in sense of a gathered community where God can come. In your small groups, on Sundays as we gather here week by week, whatever the setting, you can have a massive celebration. We just had a massive celebration for women in, across new ground. 600 women together down at Eastbourne in a fearless conference. All I've heard about is one of the, one of the most wonderful things was the worship. Just God coming and meeting with people, whatever the setting, there is this wonderful, wonderful opening, the promise of God that he will come and he will meet with us. Old covenant is there as a type and as a foreshadow. And however glorious and however much the presence of God was known in those days of Nehemiah, it is in the new covenant that we find the total reality of what true worship is all about. And in the new covenant, which is our worship, there are two distinctives from the old. The first is this. We are called as individuals to worship God. You don't have to wait for a Sunday morning meeting or your small group. You are invited as an individual, as a temple of the Holy Spirit yourself, to come 
and to worship the Lord. John chapter 4, verse 23. But the hour is coming and that is now here, when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Every day, wherever you are, whatever situation you're in, not just waiting for Sundays, you are called to be a worshipper. When we gather like we have this morning, it's important to understand that what I do this morning is not somehow foreign or alien to what I've been given the opportunity to do throughout the rest of the week. So if you've turned up this morning and you haven't worshipped all week, then when you worship together corporately, it's actually not straight forward because you find this is alien, this is foreign to me. I've sometimes said to some worship leaders when the worship didn't really go the way they wanted it to or it didn't kind of take off in the way that they had hoped, I've said, you know what? We may have just been asking people to do something this morning that they haven't naturally done all week. So this is actually quite foreign to their common experience. Second thing that's different is corporate worship. Because for us, this is now no longer watching a few Levites or even the choir on the top of the the wall doing their thing. We are all called to be participants. We are all called to be part of this worship experience. The Holy Spirit hasn't just come on a few people to anoint them and then depart from them. He has now come upon us to rest with us forever. The day of Pentecost, the prophetic word was, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So we're now no longer watching a few people do something. So the difference is, I get to worship God wherever I am. I come on a Sunday morning. Worship is colliding with a whole load of other individuals who have also been worshipping all week. We're not trying to make something happen here. It's a lifestyle. It's something we're called and privileged to do. And the second difference is, when the Spirit of God moves, he moves upon all of us together. Nehemiah is a story of restoration, restoring that which is lost. And one of the things that have been lost was the presence of God and the glory of God amongst his people. Today we're living in times, I believe, of restoration all over the world. It's like the church is discovering things that have been lost. And when it comes to worship, I'm looking out on this congregation. There's not, I'm not the only one with gray hair this morning. I'm going to guess there's a few people here who can remember days when worship is not like it was this morning as we worship together. In other words, things have been lost and there's been a gradual journey of restoring things that we see in the Bible that we were not experiencing in our church communities together. What's being restored today is spirit-filled worship, the glory of God being manifest amongst us. The danger for us, I think, and I wanted to really share this, is that we can fall into the trap of thinking, well, it's done then. There were lots of things in the old days that, you know, we needed to be restored that were missing, and now here we are today, and we've made such progress, so therefore, we must have arrived. 
My experience is this sense of restoring worship is a constant issue for us. That we drift away and then we have to come back and we drift away and we have to come back. And what we come back to is what the Bible tells us about worship. What the Bible says about what our worship should be like. So we're in slight danger, if I can just throw this one out, I might never come back again, so I'll do it anyway, of just having worship that's a bit modern. It's kind of like different, but it might not be about the presence of God. It might be just a kind of modern version of what we used to have. And so we, we constantly need to look at this subject. When I found I was preaching on this this morning, my heart leapt because I think it's just so important we come back again and again and again to what the Bible says. So let's talk for a few moments about new covenant worship. I'm always nervous talking about worship after a time of worship. I think we did pretty good this morning. The question we need to ask ourselves is this. What is the Holy Spirit doing in our meetings? And again, what I'm about to share with you is relevant for every kind of meeting that any Christians gather together to worship God. The issue of worship is not about my preferences. The issue of worship is not, well, I think this or I think that. The question is, what is the Holy Spirit doing every time we gather. Now he's doing lots of things, but I'm going to boil it down to three. The first is this. He always, always wants to glorify Jesus. Always wants to take the attention to the Lord Jesus himself. Therefore, our worship surely must always be pointing to Jesus and being captivated by him. John chapter 16, verse 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. Look at this. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Therefore, whenever we gather for worship in whatever context our focus in worship is on God and not on me it is glorifying Jesus and not one another it's not about man it's about him so our worship surely should always be about who he is what he's done it should be truth that's reminding us over and again. This morning we had scriptures reminding us of who he is and how faithful he is and what he's done. So truth needs to flood us from the very start. The Holy Spirit, as we worship, wants to change the focus and he wants to change our perspective. And that is done by glorifying Jesus. He alone is worthy. Why is he worthy? Tell me, worship leaders. Tell me, people. Come on, remind me. Why is he worthy? I need to know. Every eye upon him. Sometimes people say to me, who is the worship for? It's for Jesus. It's not for these people or those people or these people. It's for Jesus. 
Right from the start, the Holy Spirit is longing to glorify him. Sometimes people I chat to, they say, well, I didn't get much out of the worship this morning. Well, it's not actually for you to get something out of. It's what did you put in? And when the Holy Spirit's moving in you, what puts in is you becoming a worshipper of the one who alone is worthy. We do live in a consumerist age where we're trying to see things that will do something for us. Brothers and sisters, we more than ever need God-exalted, Jesus-glorified meetings, not man-centered. So please don't start meetings with, how do you feel this morning? Have you had a bad week? Many of you probably, these are irrelevant questions to what is about to happen. And if you have had a really difficult bad week, the answer isn't to go into yourself. The answer is not easy, can be really tough if you've gone through difficult things. But here's the answer. The answer is to lift your gaze. We sang that, didn't we? Lift up your eyes. Lift up your heads came a few times this morning because it's not centered upon us, it's upon him. So whenever I'm in a meeting and there's worship and it's all about how do you feel and I hope you haven't had such a bad week, it's kind of like, no, 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 no. The Holy Spirit's not wanting to center upon that. He's wanting to center on the glory of the Lord Jesus himself. Worship leaders, people on the platform, their role is simply to enable us to see Jesus. Not about performance. It's not about being entertained. It's all about Jesus. And there have been times in my life when I've been going through really difficult times and I'm sat and I've stood in the worship and off we go. And when you're like this, Christians just look more happier than they should, you know, all around you because you're aware of what you're kind of go through. And time and time again, I've had to say to myself, what the Holy Spirit is doing now is he's wanting to take me, even though I've been through difficulties, to focus my attention back on him as well. The psalmist says, why are you downcast, O my soul? Hope again in God. That begins to happen when we are lifted and reminded of who Jesus is. Amen? Let me get an amen from around the room. The second thing that the Holy Spirit is wanting to do, I'll get you Pentecostal by the end of the meeting. The second thing that the Holy Spirit wants to do is he wants us to encounter God. Nehemiah's goal was not just the building. His goal was that people would encounter God because Nehemiah knew that when people encountered God, they would change. So the Holy Spirit's wanting us to glorify Jesus As we are glorifying Jesus, the presence of God (coughs) begins to flood the room. And inevitably, we will begin to encounter him. Encountering the presence of God is a faith issue. It's to do with the promise. We heard this morning, fear not, for I am with you. The most repeated promise in the word of God. That is not a feeling. (coughs) That is a promise that is received by God faith again sometimes I've been in meetings and someone says can you feel him and I'm going no I'm not feeling anything I'm sure people do feel the presence of God but whether you feel or you don't the promises are true draw near to me and I will draw near to you where two or three are gathered there I am in the midst and we reason we encounter God is not because of our feelings 
but because he is a living God. He's not a dumb idol that we've come to. And so this living God who lives <clears throat> gives life. He breathes, he speaks, he touches, he heals, he sets free, he refreshes, he renews, he brings revelation. No wonder people are encountering God. When we exalt Jesus, we will begin to encounter him and his presence. The Bible says, worship with all your heart, with all your strength, with all your might. Why? Because he is worthy and yes, because you will then begin to encounter God in a new way. Now this is important. I want you just to hear this. Our expectation, our anticipation of encountering God must be uppermost in our hearts. Again, as we're glorifying Jesus, we are then going to have that opportunity to encounter the living God. Anticipation, expectation. The posture that we have and that we hold is really, really important. You see, if I come into the presence of God and to worship God, and I do not expect to meet with him or to encounter him, what's going to happen to me is I will become passive. I will just not expect to encounter God at all. It will just be something that is not important for me. But when you're hungry and when you're thirsty, when you are somebody who really wants to eat something or drink something, your posture is never, ever passive. You're actually on the front foot. You're longing for food, for drink. It's something that you, you, you just fill with anticipation because it's been promised to you. So therefore, the Bible says that our posture should be one of anticipation and, and expectation. As I come into the presence of God, I'm somebody who's just saying, well, Lord, please, 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 can I encounter you today afresh? So the body, your body, my body, are important when it comes to worshipping God, to, ex to expect to meet with him. It's why the Bible says, sing. It's why the Bible says clap. It's why the Bible says dance. It's why the Bible says shout with a loud voice. It's why the Bible keeps on declaring to us things that we should do in anticipation of meeting with God. The more we come with that expectation, the more we will see God move. So brothers and sisters, let me just, just highlight this. If you believe you're going to encounter God and God's presence is here amongst us, then we can come not passively, but our posture of one of openness, ready to receive from God. I wish every meeting was like this, but really it isn't. And we're not talking about people bringing contributions in meetings. We're talking about everybody participating together in expectation that God will come and that he will move. His presence, his presence is the all-important thing. Therefore, my expectation of encountering him goes up another level. Sometimes I've been bemused by this. I've actually left meetings where I felt empty. <clears throat> I thought, well, Lord, why am I feeling empty? It was a good meeting. The worship went well. The singers did well. You know, no one played a duff note. 
the lighting was great, the atmosphere was wonderful. It should have been everything <clears throat> to really help me to encounter God. There was just one thing missing. I never really knew his presence. I never really encountered the presence of the living God. And I don't know about you, but I would rather not have everything perfect and excellent, but have the presence of God there. It would make all the difference. See, it's not the trappings, it's not the things that we do. It's the encounter of the presence of God. Number three, the third thing that the Holy Spirit is always wanting to do is produce spontaneity. Holy Spirit brings new things, fresh things. <clears throat> there are now moments when it comes to the move of the Holy Spirit. You just simply can't repeat this week what happened last week. If last week you sang a song and it was tremendously anointed and all sorts of things happened as a result, and you get together and think, we're going to sing that song again this week. You sing this song again this week, nothing happens. Nothing happened like it did last week. Why is that? <clears throat> because the Holy Spirit is creative. It's sing to the Lord a new song. It's the Holy Spirit needing to have the room to be spontaneous. Freedom for the Holy Spirit to move means that our meetings cannot be predictable. They cannot be and won't be the same. We need to give the, give the Holy Spirit the freedom to move. And if we do, then our meetings will not be predictable. What does he want to do? Are you, are you saying, David, that worship leaders shouldn't plan? Of course not. Of course we should plan for our meetings and, and what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. But we need always, because the Holy Spirit is wanting to move in our meetings, to be sensitive and asking, what does he want to do? So we're free to change things around so that he is able to move amongst us. It's important for us not to just think that repetition somehow is what the Holy Spirit is always doing. If the Holy Spirit is the one who is really leading our meetings, then there will be those we don't know what's going to happen next moments. That's New Covenant Christianity. Not having everything controlled or buttoned up. We don't know much from Scripture of what the early church's meetings were like. But what we do know from the Word of God, and we're a Word Spirit church, so we go back to what the Word of God says, we do know that the Bible teaches us that when we gather together, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, each one, each one, each one, each one. What's it saying? It's saying when the Holy Spirit moves in the meeting, he starts to give things for people to share and contribute. We had two or three of those here this morning. That's not weird. That's not strange. That is normal Holy Spirit meetings. Glorifying Jesus, helping us to encounter the presence of the living God, and then being open to the Spirit of God to move so that he's able to meet with us. Well-known passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 14, 26. What then, brothers, sisters, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. In other words, meetings are not actually always front-led. Meetings are not always everybody watching one person do something. That's the old, that's the Levites 
This is the Spirit of God coming upon us, the possibility that God can speak through you to your brothers and sisters in order to build them up in their faith. Some of you might say, well, if that all starts happening in our meetings, won't that be a bit messy? Won't that be a bit chaotic? And it's interesting that the Corinthian church were possibly very chaotic in their worship. But it's interesting, isn't it? The Apostle Paul doesn't shut down the things of the Spirit. He just brings some teaching. He brings some order. One of the serious disciplines, listen to this, for the early church, for the Corinthian church was, can we please from now on just have two or three tongues and interpretations in our meetings? That was serious. That is not serious discipline on most churches that I visit today. It's this whole thing of being, it's not chaos because the Holy Spirit is a Holy Spirit order. 1 Corinthians 14, 39. So my brothers, earnestly desire to prophecy. Do not forbid speaking in tongues, but let all things be done decently and in order. Because the Holy Spirit is a, a Holy Spirit of order. It's not chaotic. We can find out what he's saying to us as a community together. Did you notice in the meeting this morning, a theme started to develop? It's fascinating to me that when people bring different contributions, the theme is the thing that really kind of resonates because that, that is what God is saying to us. Next week it will be something different. Sometimes some of us think, well, if I bring my non-Christian friend into a meeting like this, where, where someone does this and someone, isn't that going to freak them out? Isn't that, going, isn't that going to sort of cause them to stumble? Well, let's give our what I've just shared with you, a test. If our worship is about encountering Jesus, and it says, John 2, 32, Jesus said, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. The Holy Spirit will be drawing unbelievers who come amongst us to him, because that is the promise. The second test, obviously, is an encountering God. If there is a living God amongst us, I don't want to shortchange an unbeliever friend that I brought to a meeting from encountering the living God. I, I find it's often Christians. We're the ones who are nervous because we brought our non-Christian friends with us, but actually they will see Jesus if it's, if it's Holy Spirit worship and they will encounter God. We had a, in our own church back at home a lady who's now gone to be with Jesus, but at the age of 94, she was sitting in a meeting next to a woman who has a Muslim background, never been in church in her life, but a friend had brought her along. And when the worship started, this Muslim, this ex-Muslim began to cry and cried and cried and cried all the way through the meeting. And she just couldn't work it out. So the 94-year-old lady said to her, what is the problem with you? She said, I don't know, but I'm encountering something I've never, and I don't understand what's going on. And so she said, oh, it's Jesus. You're encountering the living God. You need to know him as your Lord and Savior. And the 94-year-old woman who's now going to be with Jesus led this woman to the Lord by the end of this meeting because this woman who didn't know lots of stuff was actually encountering the living God. I remember another time in a meeting when some friends of mine brought their friends who I knew quite well, no Christian background, never been in a meeting, <clears throat> And I was sitting on the front row. They were sitting somewhere over there. And I, um, I, I was very... When you've got a friend who's not a Christian, you become very aware of them. And as the meeting took off, it was one of those meetings that really, really, really took off. 
I mean, there was all sorts of things happening. There were spiritual gifts, there was singing in the spirit. And I'm dying on the front row because I'm just thinking about these people. I'm thinking, no, not this morning, please. Can't we just keep everything down? Please let the prayers be all authentic. And, and then after a while of this meeting going on and on, the spirit of God was just coming. I, I, just, I just felt the Lord say, would you please just go quiet? And would you just worship me? I will take care of what's going on in the room. I was greatly relieved when someone got up to preach an outstanding word on justification by faith and the atonement and the blood of Jesus. And I thought, oh, at last. Now, at last, they're going to understand something because it's the gospel and it's going to change their lives. So I shot over to them as soon as the meeting had finished and said, how did you do? How did you get on in the meeting? And they said, wow. That first part of the meeting, we didn't understand everything, but that was amazing and it was authentic and we felt touched and we got so many questions. And when that guy got up to speak, didn't understand a single word that he said. (laughs) My whole interpretation of what was going on was completely off target. And of course, I, I asked them questions. Why didn't understand? Well, they didn't understand the word justification. They never heard the word atonement. That has to be explained to them. But they were genuinely encountering the living God. Then what about spontaneity? I'm just coming to a close. Jesus really does know what's going on in the room. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 23. If therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and an outsider or unbelievers enter, they will not... They will, they, will they not say, you are out of your mind? Which is why when we had a tongue this morning we then had the interpretation so that we could all understand what was being said to God. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever, an outsider, enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his hearts are disclosed. And so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really amongst you. Folks, that... I do not want to rob unbelievers who come amongst us from encountering and falling down and saying, surely God is amongst you. So as churches like King's Church, we need to be having worship at the center, at the pinnacle of everything we do. And it needs to be that we are open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Can I encourage you in this church community that we are giving ourselves week by week by week to the expectation that when we gather, either here or in any other context, we are always glorifying Jesus. We are always encountering the living God. Therefore, I am not coming in, hands in pockets, just passive. Well, we'll see what will happen today. I'm coming in like this because I expect to meet with the living God and then be open to the spontaneity of the gifts of the Holy Spirit moving amongst us. One of, the, one of the biggest changes or radical things that's happened around the globe when it comes to uh, corporate worship has undoubtedly been the freedom that the Holy Spirit has been given to move amongst us. But I don't want to come to a place where my grandkids hear stories that I tell them of what God once did in meetings when the Spirit of God moved. I want them to have their own encounters and their own experience of worshipping the living God. Could the musicians come back, please? 
We're going to sing a song of response. Can we just close our eyes just for a moment, not because we don't like to look at the wonderful musicians, but because we just need to take a moment of response to God in our hearts. The whole story of Nehemiah will never be understood if we don't understand the importance of God's presence. And I, I want us to just think for a moment about a journey that we can go on as both individuals and as a church together. And the journey is us saying, Lord, from now on, help me to come to gatherings longing to exalt Jesus, longing to expect to encounter God and open to the Holy Spirit spontaneously, miraculously working through us. And is that something in your heart this morning? It's not about next week or the week after. It's about next month, next year, the decades to come. That we won't settle for anything less. Nehemiah never settled for anything less than encountering the glory of God. And the same is true for us. Let us not settle for anything else other than the glory of God. And I believe there's a calling upon us as individuals this morning to really be worshippers. Take the attention off ourselves and put firmly on the Lord. Thanks for listening to this message from the King's Church Mid-Sussex. To connect with us online, visit tkc.org.uk. We hope you'll join us again soon.